WFYI podcast brought to you by Bloomington, Indiana, an American college town offering food and drink, college sports, outdoor activities, live music, cool art, and good times daily. Everyone is welcome in Bloomington. More information at visitbloomington.com. It's time to hear what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly at the cinemas and on DVD. Get ready for Wait for it. Film Sociology with WFYI's film guru. Kaiser Shizzy! No, that's Matthew Sosi. It's such a fine line between stupid and clever. Yes. Let's find out how thin the line is. Here's your host. Live from Indianapolis, it's Film Yep Radio. <laughs> Thank you, Kobe Slagle, for that warm introduction. It is, in fact, Film Yap Radio. I am Joe Shear. I am Christopher Lloyd. And I'm Austin Lager. Yeah, so we're a trifecta today, and uh, uh, Matthew Sosi is on assignment. I think he is, uh, uh, hit his head, and he's on his 45th consecutive viewing of The Room, which, uh, <laughs> which the Film Yap has, um, I believe our current schlock vault is occupied by The Room. That's right. Yeah. So... Uh, uh, he, I meant, made sure to send that link to him, so he, he knows that uh, that's there. If if you guys would like to know what someone else, other than Matthew Sosie, <laughs> thinks about the room, um, go check it out. Although it's kind of in line, honestly. Were any of you guys at any either of the screenings last weekend? No, no. no. I, I got my fill of the room um, at home. Thank ah. you very much. <laughs> so so uh, we we got a full slate of movies here this week. Um, Chris, why don't you tell us some of the things we have going on? What we're going to talk about. Well, it's the it's the height of summer. Didn't we just, in fact, pass the summer solstice? We did, just, I believe, yesterday. The longest day of the year. So uh, mm-hmm. maybe we're kind of in that stretch where it's starting to seem like the summer lineup is the longest in the year. I don't know. It, mm-hmm. You always have that first few weeks where it's the May and everything's every every week is a new excitement. Then you kind of kind of get into June, later June, mid-June, and it's sort of, you know, we're pushing stuff out here, waiting for the July 4th weekend to uh, really kick up, and then Batman and mm-hmm. July 20th. So kind of a bit of the slower time, but still, yeah. I think some interesting things out there. Most interesting thing is probably, probably one of the lower-profile Pixar movies. Usually when Pixar movies come out, there's a huge hoopla. It's all over. It's on covers of magazines. Mm-hmm. Everyone's talking about it. And I don't really hear people talking about Brave. Yeah. Except there's, like, you can get, like, the toys and all the clothes and, like, little books and things and all the stores and stuff. Is it, it like, girl toys? Is it, like, dolls and such? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. they, they They have a Barbie line. Of, of all the Disney princesses, first of all. And I do say this because I have <laughs> a four-year-old daughter who yes, loves to drag all. me through that section. And I stop and we look. And she um, she actually went with me to the screening of Brave, um, as as you know, Chris. Um, and, yeah, so maybe I'll mention her thoughts on the movie. Um, yes, it is. To me, it is an oddly titled film. Uh, given the actual subject matter of the film. And, yeah, you know, it's uh, the typical life lessons of, you know, s- sort of thing. And, you know, her life lessons is, lesson is the, the takeaway is not really to be brave. I, yeah. I, I guess kind yeah. of. So, so we're going to listen to a uh, trailer here before we get started. I saw something that day, something I'll not forget. It stands 12 feet tall with razor-sharp claws. Its hide littered with the weapons of fallen warriors. Its face scarred with one dead eye. 
and do my short hands. Chomp! Dad's leg was clean off. Oh, that's my favourite part. <laughs> In accordance with our laws, the firstborn of each of the great leaders must prove their worth. Merida, stop! A lady enjoys elegant oh. pursuits. I present my only son. He took out a whole armada single-handedly. He was dead. With one arm, he was steering the ship. Oh. I want my freedom. But are you willing to pay the price your freedom will cost? Careful what you wish for, my mother would say. What's the worst that can happen? Show a little decorum! Feast your eyes! If you had the chance to change your fate, would you? was Brave, Pixar's latest film. This film has had quite a, a difficult production history with everything. It used to be called The Bear and the Bow way back when. Now, everyone in Pixar has always talked about how the film changes a million times. And, like, for example, WALL-E actually involved these gooey aliens for most of its story before they kind of reshaped it to what we see now. So years ago when they announced that, the director, Brenda Chapman, uh, was fired. Uh, from this, I was a little bit worried, but again, this is kind of Pixar changing the story all the time. But then they also kind of fired the main actress. Ruth Witherspoon was the lead of this, and then they got Kelly McDonald. Oh. Yeah, this is weird. And they Just to be on... more authentically Scottish? I, I, I think so. I would love to hear Ruth Witherspoon's Scottish accent. But <laughs> Mark Andrews was brought in, and also Steve Purcell, to kind of get the film what it is now. Now, they're still kind of keeping quiet about what the story was before what we see now but i know it had a lot more it was set in the winter yeah a lot more winter effects which is where mm -hmm. we kind of saw the the teaser that was a while ago mm -hmm. which was not actually in the film we saw today now do we want to get in a little bit into what the film is about it, it uh, is that what it's not about <laughs> yeah it's it we follow uh, a scottish princess as we mentioned her name is merida and she's voiced by kelly mcdonald mm -hmm. um she is a bit of a tomboy despite her uh flowy curly red hair ridiculously red hair much like my daughter's i must say um it's i wrote in my review it's it looks at the same time it looks like it's very unkempt as if she hasn't brushed it for a few days but it's still meticulously placed as if it was every strand of hair was put there on purpose as if two guys did nothing for a year but animate her hair yeah yeah i would think so so anyway, she learns, um, you know, she's, she, as I said, a tomboy. She um, loves shooting her bow and arrow and riding her horse and doing all this other stuff that girls of that age typically don't do. And uh, she learns that she is to be married off to one of the neighboring tribes or clans, I believe is the, the correct terminology. She's not too happy about that. And from there, lots of other strange things happen. We can discuss whether how much of that we want to reveal. I've, I actually reveal it in my review, but I've heard other people say, oh, that's a spoiler. You can't do that. I, I don't uh, think we should say it, but she's, okay. we can say she's upset with her mom. Yeah, yeah. There she's upset go. with her mom, and, and something very strange happens that turns the film on its head, so to speak, and other things happen from there. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> as, as bad of a title as Brave is, The Bear and the Bow is even worse. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not, not I mean, what, what else, you know, they're just listing things that are in the movie. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, you know, it could have been like, you know, Adventures and Scottish Cliffs. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would watch that. Yeah. <laughs> and they said Pixar Presents in front of it. I'll watch we it. we should mention the the young triplets who as I again who as I pointed out in my review at the filmyap.com are there simply to be cute and to yep. give uh, Merida something to uh, a way to escape or to get help in certain situations when she needs it and sell toys and sell lots of toys. Yeah, yes. that's what I don't I don't get. The movie's not out yet, mm -hmm. but a month, month and a half, two months out, you've got merch in the stores. Yeah, 
Oh yeah, it's it's as effective <laughs> of advertising as a poster. Yeah, because if you have the toys in your house for a month, you go, yeah, okay, now I have true. to see the film. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I don't know if you guys read Roger Ebert's review. I, I thought he made a very good point, which was that he said that you know, okay, yeah, she's a tomboy and she does all the things, but the movie never really engages her as a female character. You know, as a female princess who wants to not be tied down by the royal traditions or anything, yeah. and just sort of grants her this status as an honorary boy. Yeah, I thought that was a very good point. Is, is it? I mean, there really isn't too much delving into the interior of this character. It really is a very surface movie, superficial in the sense that you know, we're not really getting deep into the characters' minds and motivations like we do in, say, a Wally or a Finding Nemo or I think the really mm-hmm. top of the line Pixar movies. Yeah, and I would I would think too, um, you know, as far as this this feminist undertone that you know, it, it's really what I expected to be in there, and I, I do think as a character she is still a. A kind of a good role model in that way. Speaking for my daughter, she still loved her, um, and you know, is she her favorite princess now? She she is her favorite princess because of the her moment. hair. Yeah, because yep. of her hair. Yeah, that'll do it. That absolutely that does it. And <laughs> you know, and that's what she you know she wants to buy the toys and all that stuff. You know, she's fallen right into the consumer trap. You know, but it's it's just odd that they set up the movie to to be this feminist thing and then they just stop. And it goes a totally different direction. I think it's a, I think it's a very good character let down by a very conventional story. Yeah. I, I go to Pixar films mm-hmm. because they, they mess with your expectations. They work so hard to deliver such a pure story that's so organic with the characters. Mm-hmm. And once the, the, the plot actually starts this film, it is the most predictable, and it's just full of, kind of cheap storytelling devices. And it's like it, I was so disappointed by how simple the story was because mm-hmm. Pixar has a new expectation and I thought they would do a lot more with the princess genre and it was disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. I sh- we should mention, uh, I looked this up. So Mark Andrews, the now first director, yes. uh, this was his first feature film credit. Uh, and Brenda Chapman did have a feature film credit previously for the Prince of Egypt. Yep. Although I think she may have also shared that have been a shared co-director credit back then. I'm not sure from that too. Uh, well, that, that, was, that was made with, with Jeffrey Katzenberg, and after reading the book, The Many Would Be King, the oh, yeah. book about DreamWorks, mm-hmm. um, it's hard to tell if any DreamWorks director gets any sort of creative credit. I think it's him with a whip behind their desk going, animate this, animate this. <laughs> yeah, you guys made a very good point, which my big problem with this movie was the, it, it held no surprises for me. I yeah, knew yeah. everything that was going to happen plot-wise, mm-hmm. and I knew everything that was going to happen emotionally with with the most important characters completely from the beginning. I mean, you know, as soon as they kind of get in gear and get things moving forward, it's like, okay, so this is going to happen. That's going to reveal X is going to reveal to be caused by Y. This is going to happen. And this will be the ending. And boom, it just all trundled out exactly as I thought. And there's just, I mean, granted we watch a lot of movies, so we kind of see the seams better than most people, but still there's just nothing more depressing than a movie where you it, nothing surprises you and you know everything that's going to happen and you're just sort of waiting for the movie to arrive where you knew it was going to go. Yeah. And especially when you to get to those points, they had such arbitrary things like these little uh, something of the wisps, the little blue yeah, things yeah, the little, little that wisps. only show up when the plot needs it to. Yeah. Right? Or yeah. Um, arbitrary contrivances with plot involving sundowns. Uh, again, it's yeah. only there. Never organically. It was always there for a very convenient thing. Here's awkward exposition about this. It just that's not what Pixar does. It's yeah, so know, disappointing. It's very rushed. You know what the wisps are? Uh, somebody quoted this that I think it was I guess it was, it was Mickey Spillane or one of those other pulp writers <laughs> said that basically whenever he he got bored or had written himself into a corner, he would just have a guy with a gun burst through the door. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of what the wisps are. They're just exactly. like, eh, yeah, we need some wisps here. Just you know. Uh, we need something to move this along because we're we're, we're kind of stuck in a rut here. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm I'm criticizing this movie more than I really should. I mean, I I do end up recommending it. I think it's a good movie. It's good family entertainment. It's better than probably eighty or ninety percent of of what's out there. But unfortunately, you know, we're dealing with that uh, that Pixar standard, which is yeah. so high. I mean, even after you know Cars two and you know couple of not missteps but again you know it, it seems like they haven't really hit that high 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 since about wally yeah that was the last movie that i that i watched and said that's a great movie i think up in toy story 3 are among their high caliber but right now it's just 
Cars 2 is such a huge disappointment. This is now a disappointment. Mm-hmm. I think the thing people keep saying is this is a good Disney film, bad Pixar film. Yeah, that's the yeah. best way to put it. I'm, I'm kind of. So, do you guys agree? Are you still in a, a, a this is a good movie, or are you still? I you I, I would down? say this is this is a. You're saying good in general, not great for Pixar. Yeah, it's an yeah. okay film. I don't know. It's yeah, an okay film. Uh, that, that's what I would say. It's more to me is okay. Um, it's it's very good for kids. You know, it's sure. it's not. There's nothing. There are no cheap pop culture jokes. There are a lot of. I did criticize it for there being a lot of. The cheap, you know, someone smashing their head on something kind of humor. A lot of, yeah, physical humor at that. And also, a lot of animated butts for a punchline. Yeah, yeah. yeah that caught me off guard. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. But, you know, it, it's it's relatively harmless, uh, you sure. know, uh, that aside. And, you know, like I said, my kids loved it, and I was perfectly happy, that, you know, that they did. It wasn't, you know, the case with some of these films where I'm yeah. like, really, let's not watch this because, yeah. you know, this is horrible. Yeah. You know, it, it's fine. But it's not, as you said, for for Pixar, it's definitely not up to their usual standards. In, in yeah. terms of Nordic flavored computer animated film, How to Train Your Dragon is pretty much the way to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This so, this is kind of what I'm getting from it. No, he doesn't get tortured, and the beaver's not Jewish. So okay. Um, however, I'll, I'll see it anyway. All right. However, <laughs> see it anyway. <laughs> see it anyway. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. All right. What's up next is uh, well, that's kind of it for the big high profile movie releases this week. But we've got a few other. Not so high profile. We've got Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, which uh, we know know very little about because they did not deign to screen it for us here. Yeah. Uh, I know it's got Jonah Hill and Steve Carell and They're Rachel. Doing the Steve Carell thing. And yeah. Rachel Weiss isn't, isn't she in it? Uh, no, uh, Kira Knightley. Kira Knightley. Yeah. And then like what? every fun uh, uh, comedy actor, you got Patton Oswalt, Rob Hubel, yeah. Gillian Jacobs, T.J. Miller. So basically, everyone for their really play one one funny thing. Yeah. So, so, so give me like a one sentence description of this movie. Um, in three weeks, the world's gonna blow up by an asteroid, and um, a man whose wife recently left him decides to try to find like an uh, a love that got away with the new friend he made, and they it's, find well, they on, find so, happiness and friendship before they all die. Oh, it's Steve Carell and Kira Knightley. Yeah. So he's seeking a granddaughter for the end of the world. She, yeah, she's the friend that, yeah. that goes on this road trip to find someone. Yeah. Uh, it's from the writer of Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, and this is her first time directing. So is, is there any uh, 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 between them, or I, I have not seen it. Yeah, it's, it's very know. it's very vague about that in the trailer. Yeah, it, it doesn't. Right. It, you see them together, but you don't you know you don't see any romantic. Okay, uh, seeking a friend for the end of world, and we were seeking a screening for this movie and did not yeah. get it. Yeah, I'm really interested to see it. Uh, another one we did not see, but we've got a clip of is uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. <laughs> of course, you know they've got these whole series of of horror mockumentaries uh, or of horror mock versions of great literature. I think what wasn't it Pride and Prejudice and Zombies was the first one this was that the actually same, came. Yeah, the same author. He yeah. wrote that, got a big break, and he wrote this this novel, American uh, so Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, but, which was a big hit. Yeah. But the Pride and Prejudice was the first of those yeah. horror literature knockoffs, and so I guess this is actually the third book, but there it's the first movie version yeah, movie to be made out of one of those. He made a bunch. He made Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters. Yeah. And then his whole like. <laughs> brand kept making its own things like android carinia and others <laughs> uh, but this is the first one he made as a, an actual novel because pride of predators and zombies i did read is 80 percent jane austen because her name is on the cover because he just took that text and then re- changed nouns around to make it about zombies oh. this one is completely did he, his work did he even do it did he just do like a, a find and replace in microsoft word <laughs> it's a little bit more creative than that but it's amazing how much of jane austen's in it all right so we got abraham lincoln vampire hunter let's take a listen As it were, the noise of thunder. And I looked, and behold, was death. To saying, come and see.
ominous sounds and yeah. crazy things. And it sounds like a combination of the musical scores from Terminator and Inception. I was going to say, it sounds like Inception light. <laughs> it's like lots of metallic percussive, you know, with some big, you know, b- b- brass instrument. Yeah. So I, I do feel the need to point out um, uh, a, a guy at my daytime job absolutely refuses to see this film because he finds it um, an abomination against American history. Oh. <laughs> so I, I told I told Kyle, my friend Kyle, I'd mentioned that. Um, I Again, this is one they have not screened for us, so we haven't seen it. I, I'm going to see it immediately after we leave here. I'm, I'm going to go see it with a friend. So um, w- we're going to talk about it anyway, <laughs> <laughs> what we can anyway. Give us your pre-review. Yeah, um, it, it hasn't gotten generally good reviews, right? Uh, I think it's at, uh, earlier today it was at 39% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is not great but it's you know there are worse have much worse films than that so um but yeah chris as you were saying before we came on just a few minutes ago that it's there are not a lot of good things to be to be said about this so far yeah and you know i have to admit I, when i they first showed the preview the, the trailers for it way back when i, I was like cool this yeah. looks neat i mean you've got to go into it with sort of a, a tongue-in-cheek attitude of yeah. This is for fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's the same sort of thing. If you look at the books and said, like, my God, they're violating great literature, you're probably not going to be predisposed to want to see these movies, in which case you're just not going to see them. Yeah. I think the audience that wants to see this is going to go see it and probably enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those are the people, sort of people who like, you know, schlocky horror and, you know, think violence can be funny in, in movies mm-hmm. and things like that. So I don't know. We'll have to see. I mean, I, I don't think it's, this was a fairly low low budget production, wasn't it? I think it's a bit higher. It's from the director of Wanted, so you got a, a lot of budget for that. The trailer has some really impressive train crashes and all this kind of craziness stuff mm-hmm. blowing up. Yeah. It has you know decent cast behind yeah, it. I don't know. The um, one I saw had some cool pretty X spinning things. Oh and, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. The one I saw had some pretty bad CGI like backgrounds of you know Washington in the 1850s and 60s. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I, I think the, yeah. the final battle is atop the Washington Monument. Is it? <laughs> Did the, the Washington Monument even say? exist? I, I, I think no. it will. That's what. Yeah. Wasn't it I'm, being I'm built? Making, I'm making that up. In the trailer, I think it shows it yeah, being it built. The, the end is is uh, vampires breaking head off the Lincoln Memorial and putting a vampire head on it. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Is that alert. what happens to Planet <laughs> Apes? I cannot understand that ending. All right. So there's, there's Abraham Lincoln, box office hunter. Uh-huh. Uh, and our last new movie of the week, uh, they did screen for us, and it's an indie movie called Safety Not Guaranteed. That's a, It includes time travel, but it's kind of about time travel and kind of not about time travel. And one of those movies that really sort of wonderfully descri- defies description. Mm. So why don't we take a listen to that one? This is Safety Not Guaranteed. Does anybody have an idea for a story? How about uh, this time travel ad? Guy writes a classified that reads, Wanted, someone to go back in time with me. This is not a joke. You'll get paid after we get back. Must bring your own weapons. Safety not guaranteed. I've only done this once before. I want to find this guy. You know, see if maybe he believes in this stuff. I don't know. I think it could be funny. You want to do it? Can I get a couple of interns? Help me with I'll the research? It. Me, too, please. Me. All right, give me the lesbian and the Indian, and I got a story. What'd you get? Got his name, where he works. What makes you think he won't slam the door in my face, too? Probably none of the other people were beautiful girls. Easier now. Do you sell guns here? Something sexy and affordable with killing power? Is there a pest problem? If your ad had been written properly, I may have a better idea of what I need. I hope you worked harder on your calibrations. My calibrations are flipping pinpoint, okay? Mm. You ever face certain death? If it was so certain... I wouldn't be here, would I? I think you're ready for the next steps in basic training. I think I'm getting better than you. Now, let's not get ahead of yourself here, okay? I'm certain I'm being recorded. I'm certain I'm being followed. What's wrong with this guy? What makes you think there's something wrong with him? Because he thinks he can go back in time. What are you going back for? The mission has to do with regret, mistakes. No matter how tempting it will be, we're never, ever going to say, hey, leave your Star Wars figurines in the box because it'll be worth, like, hundreds more. So, Kenneth, why are you looking for a partner? The world is mostly full of jank holes. Take these creepy glasses off and put these on you. That dude right there crushes chicks. I believe that there are purists out there, and that's why I put that ad in the paper. I think you're ready. I trust you. You should. There are people following him. There are really people following him. This is intense. Going 15 miles an hour. 
You come to that launch site, you take my hand, and I'll show you who can't time travel. What's your story about? I don't know anymore, actually. It's my hope that if you're watching this video, something incredible has happened. awkward comparison because this is the second film this summer to be a Sundance comedy well not comedy about a journalist investigating someone who might or may not be a time traveler and then find out what's going on throughout the film the first one was last month's uh, sound of your voice and this weekend we have the much better safety not guaranteed um, <laughs> nothing gets under my voice but this one is uh, a lot better because it is able to focus more on the characters and why someone would want to time travel and why someone would want to pursue someone who may or may not be a fraud. Right. And, and there's 75% more Aubrey Plaza. It yes. does. It has a lot more <laughs> Aubrey Plaza. Yeah. Um, Aubrey Plaza, of course, uh, plays the cynical snide girl on television's Parks and Recreation, a mm -hmm. role that she's great in, but I think we've all watched, I know I watched her for years and seen her in tiny, tiny little film roles mm -hmm. and Scott said, I, I really want to see more of her, what, what she could do is something bigger. And her role in this has notes of her character in Parks and Rec, but I think definitely uh, uh, a lot more deeply uh, driven uh, and deeply explored. Uh, I would call it a comedy, a black comedy with romantic elements and time travel. Like I say, it's one of those movies that it, it defies description and, you know, at the end, hopefully you've enjoyed it and you really, you really don't want to pigeonhole it and say it's this or it's that. Uh the more I've, I've thought about this movie, it, it really is, you know, at at or near the top of my list of best movies I've seen this year. Uh, and I compare it favorably to a film that came out last week that's similar, some similar stylistic and thematic notes, Wes Anderson's Moonrise Kingdom, uh, which is very, very quaint and twee and, you know, everything's just so different and precious and indie uh, and, and to me, this was like a much, much more like the successful version of that sort of stylistic uh, motivation uh, in this movie. Uh, we should also mention, uh, uh, is it Mark Duplass? One Mark of the Duplass, Duplass yep. known yeah. for the Mumblecore uh, movies yeah. Yeah. Uh, here. Here is, I think, purely as an actor, not as a filmmaker. I, don't think, I think he may have produced it. May have been a producer credit yeah. uh, playing a very kind of different character. This guy who's offbeat and weird and quite possibly deranged. Uh, but you know, again, the movie's less about can this guy travel through time, but more about why does he believe he travels through time and why does he think he should mm -hmm. travel through time? Uh, so uh, other characters that I think it's the Jeff, the journalist character there who uh, I really didn't, I thought him and his whole journey was the weakest part of the movie. I, I never believed him as a character. First of all, any the, the, no journalist in any newsroom, even in a you know third-rate magazine in Seattle, is going around referring to even interns as the lesbian and the Indian, uh, not without losing his job in about the next five seconds. Uh, also, that uh, I have to say that a you know magazine, a, a third-rate magazine in Seattle, could afford to send three people off on to stay in hotels <laughs> and eat for two weeks at a time and. Well, they got Just, one room to save money. Yes, they did, but still. <laughs> one uh, line dialogue saves that plot hole. <laughs> yeah, I, I had this discussion, I think it was with Ed, uh, our compatriot Ed Johnson afterwards, about um, well, the whole Jeff character and why he's even there. And it's like, well, he's time-traveling, too, because he's going, going takes the entire the assignment entirely so he can go back to this town and try and hook up with an old flame. So, in a sense, he's trying to reel back time, wind it backwards, and... Yeah, that's one of the things. It sounds better on the screen, but aside from that, uh, just a lot of lot of fun. Very quirky, very you know, wry, dark humor. Not a ha ha kind of movie. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, it's it's funny, but it's a, it works a lot more on the characters moment with the yeah. emotion. Uh, Aubrey Plaza does such a great job with all the dramatic moments and the the longing for something she doesn't even know what it is, and those scenes work the best, um, especially. Her and Mark Duplass have such great chemistry together that all their dialogue scenes were just stunning to watch. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're, we're agreed. Safety not guaranteed. Definitely the pick of the week and maybe mm -hmm. of the summer so far. Now, that was a good movie. 
All right. Well, why don't we uh, take, want to take a little break here? You're, of course, listening to Film Sociology, uh, overtaken this week by the Film Yap crew <laughs> uh, here on WFYI HD to the point. We're going to take just a little breather and be right back at you with the video store. about either one of them. I find it's best to stay out of other people's affairs. You know who I can do without? I can do without the people in the video store. Which ones? All of them. What would you get for a six-year-old boy who chronically wets his bed? So do you have any new movies in? Do you have that one with that guy who was in that movie that was out last year? They never rent quality flicks. They always pick the most intellectually devoid movie on the racks. Ooh, Navy Seals! It's like in order to join, they have to have an IQ less than their shoe size. Let's just go. Just go open the video store. Yeah, open the video store. Blockbuster video. Wow, what a difference. All right, what a difference indeed. <laughs> and uh, uh, there's a bit of a light uh, light load this week as far as new releases go. Um, we want to talk about, what are we going to talk about first? Well, we were going to talk about Jeff who lives at home. Uh, unfortunately, it turns out none of us here have seen it. Yeah, we were all uh, busy living at home. This was a Jason Siegel movie, right? Uh, yeah, Jason uh, Siegel and Ed Helms from The Office. And... Written by Mark Duplass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so is it in kid. the Mumblecore? Or is it... Very much is. Yeah, okay. he, isn't the one that... He directed it? Yeah, he did. And so for those who don't know, Mumblecore is kind of like this, you know, very low budget, naturalistic settings. People, early on, they were actually like shooting in their own houses and using their own clothes and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Highly imp- improvised improvised sounding dialogue whether how much it actually is improvised is another question but the characters speak in long run-on sentences and things like that yeah and... mumblecore comes from they don't have very good audio equipment so it sounds like they're mumbling all the time yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly sort of like the two kids in moonrise kingdom but that's neither <laughs> here nor there you mean that really great film that... yeah. yeah so the one that chris was the one that yeah. chris chris was very unfortunately completely wrong about yeah, very, very. <laughs> So, uh, I'm so sorry, Chris. Unfortunately, we made Kobe actually pull a clip from this movie, and no one has seen it. So do we still want to play said clip just to justify his work, or do we want to... Kobe, you nah. did the work. You decide. Nah. Yeah, okay. Right, let's, let's move so, on. So, Jeff, who lives at home. Uh, another movie that, unfortunately, none of us here saw was Project X. This looked interesting, though. Now, what was this one about? Was this the one with uh, has, the three kids? has something or? to do with a, a monkey or an ape. Uh, Matthew Broderick is in it, I think. <laughs> no. no, do I have the wrong one? You made the wrong one. Oh, I uh, Google. Or, or was this the one that was about the like high school guys partying? Yeah. This is supposed to be the craziest party of all time, produced by Todd Phillips of the Hangover Films. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they like yeah. go outside and the world's ended or something? I don't think so. Does that happen? Oh, I, I don't <laughs> think so. I think that's just how you time? feel when that you watch the movie. That would be amazing. <laughs> if they like, had this very... like party where there's all soul self-centered and go, oh wait the world anymore like, yeah. all right that. here's a movie we actually do have a clip for ah. and that's big miracle based on the true story back in the 80s when some whales got trapped in the ice in alaska and for a while the whole world cared mm-hmm. 
The avocado. This little guy and pretty much everything else in town has to take four separate plane rides to arrive up here in Chili Barrow, Alaska. Adam, your material up there seems like it's running a little thin. What the heck? I think Barrow might have one great story left in her. This is solid ice. It goes for five miles from here to the open ocean. Three gray whales are now trapped in walls of ice six inches thick. You have whales in trouble and you didn't call me? I didn't call you because there's nothing you can do. There's always something you can do. Rachel, I'd like you to meet Fred and Wilma. And this is Bam Bam. <gasps> Everything's gonna be okay. Governor Haskell, we were wondering if you could mobilize a ship that can break through the ice. Are you serious? With every passing hour, their path to freedom slips further away as more of the ocean turns solid. All we need is the cooperation from the governor, but the governor has basically turned his back on the whales. I hate her so much. We will do everything we can to help these poor creatures. Pretty amazing, huh? The National Guard will pull the icebreaker where it's desperately needed. The pool should be a piece of cake. Nothing's that simple in the Arctic. This is a monumental task as all eyes and efforts are focused on saving the whales. The temperature has dropped through the floor. We can't keep up with the ice. The town of Barrow has shut down as school children and shopkeepers alike furiously work to cut a path to the ocean. Where's Bam Bam? He's not coming up. Maybe he's hurt. You can't go down there. It's too dangerous. The only icebreaker within navigable distance belongs to the Soviets. I'll be damned if I'm going to let the Reds in to save the day. Then those whales are going to die. Even though they're big and powerful. There's so much like us. We're vulnerable. We get scared. And we need help sometimes, too. Okay. I am actually going to defend Big Miracle. I liked it. Yes, it is totally what it sounds like, kind of TV movie of the week feel, gooey, uh, crowd-pleasing, slightly PC, environmental message. Um, but... I just enjoyed I enjoyed the characters, all the actors in it, uh, John Krasinski, Drew Barrymore, a bunch of others. They just seem to genuinely, genuinely be enjoying themselves in this story and uh, making the movie. And I, and I think that reflects in the movie. Uh, I have to say it, it totally bombed at the box office. Just People just did not go see it. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't remember. I, I have to say, I do not remember. This was, I think, 1988, like the fading days of the Reagan administration when this actual event happened. I have no memory of it whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, but apparently it was a big story at the time. Yeah, it, it actually takes place during the, the Bush-Dukakis presidential race. And you know that, that's kind of um, a, a background to the rest of the film. Um, and, and, there's, and there are a couple of little political quips in the end, including one um, very, well, relatively timely to today um, – that apparently was uh, kind of a in its time was a real clip, and it actually appears to be real news footage. If if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. Um, if you don't, I don't want to spoil it because it, it's kind of pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and the person read uh, and I I pointed out um, the person who is referenced in this film in this little news clip is actually gets a credit at the end in the credits of the film. Um, whereas a lot of the other people who appear in archival footage, Ronald Reagan and Dukakis and Bush and many, many other you know, jur famous journalists at the time, um, do not. So um, I thought that was kind of interesting. So take that as what you may. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like I say, I mean, I mean this is, I mean, I'm not going to defend the movie. It's, you know, it, it knows what it is and it doesn't try to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, hide itself. I mean, it is warm and fuzzy, uh, pablum. Uh, you know, with a bit of a tearjerker angle, um, but you know, it, it it does it knows what it is and it does what it does with skill and with charm. Yeah. Uh, so I I think this one's definitely worth checking out on video. Yes. Now that was a good movie. It, yeah. <laughs> and uh, 
Oh, hey, before we do our last video, can I do a, a do-over? Because something I wanted to say about safety not guaranteed. Because I totally like did research and stuff. <laughs> I like about, about I, I like I like totally researched this man. I like went like... on the internet and you know did stuff. Uh, I don't that ad that they read it there about the, the you know the, that he placed in the paper that was a real ad that was in the paper but it was a fake ad it was a, a reporter at some little newspaper somewhere and the editor when the uh, classifieds were short would assign him to like, write a couple of fake ads to be funny and quirky to appear in in, in the paper just to be you know get, grab people's attention and so the guy wrote that. Uh, I don't think he's involved in the movie yeah, at all. It's a but. verbatim ad too. That's, and that's actually verbatim. Ad. Actual yeah. thing. Spoiler all right. alert. Spoiler all right, all right. I got my I got my <laughs> do over. Like in. <laughs> so our last video of the week is Wanderlust. Another one that just totally died at the box of us, and no one, you know, so, pe people stayed away in droves, as they say. So disappointing. I I have not seen it yet. I missed it in theaters. Because uh, I, I it's directed by David Wayne and co-written by David Wayne and Kim Marino, some of my favorite comedy writers. Mm -hmm. So many good. Uh, cast members in it, including the typical troupe from the MTV's The State, plus Alan Alda and Jennifer Aniston. So yeah. I haven't seen it, but Chris, you've seen it, right? Jennifer Aniston and uh, Paul, Paul Rudd, Rudd Paul who Rudd. Uh, people just... Love him. Uh, everyone loves him. Everyone's like, boy, this guy really should be a leading man, breakout leading man, and just he can't seem to get the right movie to showcase his talents. Uh, I disagree. Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. <laughs> <laughs> No, he yeah. he he has been. Uh, yeah, he he's one of those guys that's always on the cusp. He's always the bridesmaid, so to speak. Um, he's, he's the not... Judy Greer of of male actors. Yes, yes, and then he gets his own film, and they bury. I think this came out what like January or February. Yeah, so February. February I don't remember this. Yeah, yeah it really. It, the basic plot is you know two New Yorkers, their lives come crashing down around them financially. They have to take off. Uh, they go to live with his brother, but can't stand him, and they kind of end up at this hippie commune and. Things happen you, from you there. You remember Kobe? It's the one where Jennifer Aniston uh, is encouraged to be uh, to engage in lesbian sort of activities with other women, and Paul Rudd walks in apparently right after, and looks very frustrated. <sighs> I do not remember this at all. <laughs> that, that's how I yeah. remember. We have to watch the trailer. It did not do well. Um, I yeah. I wanted to like this movie, and I just couldn't. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I'm gonna rent it. I'll I'll, I'll probably see it at some point. Yeah. It's, um, it's David Wayne. He's amazing. Yeah. All right. What else do you guys want to talk about this week? We do have our uh, listings of passings. Um, I think, Austin, you had one that I did not have down. Is that right? I do. Um, I, I have to. I haven't talked about Doctor Who in an hour, so I better do it now. <laughs> um, He's tweaking a bit. Yeah, no, I'm freaking out. <laughs> uh, a lovely actress uh, named Carolyn John died. Uh, it was announced yesterday, but she actually died a few weeks ago. They kind of had the the private funeral with her family before releasing to the press. Uh, she was a Doctor Who companion back in the 70s. She was the first one with the third Doctor, John Pertwee. She was in the story Spearhead from Space, The Ambassadors of Death, Doctor Who and the Silurians, and Inferno. Let's just pretend I read that off a list. And did. Uh, I was going to say, there is, there is no list in front of him right now. He just rattled that off. You're all welcome. Um, she played uh, a really great companion, a scientist who helped him out. Unfortunately, she was only in one season and then was replaced by the overrated Joe Grant. But uh, to make it kind of relevant to today, her character is named Liz Shaw, and that is the main character's name from Prometheus. And most people think that's not a coincidence, considering Ridley Scott worked on Doctor Who back in the 60s. And it they have very similar professions, the Liz Shaw from Prometheus mm -hmm. and from Doctor Who. She was a very good actress, and... Um, I'm sorry to hear she passed away. I, I, I do need to say, as, as an avowed Star Trek freak, that it was very impressive the way you read all those, those names off. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. All right. Now, can I admit something to you, Austin, that will probably lower your opinion of me if that's possible? You don't, you don't like Doctor Who? <laughs> oh, no, You're that's not possible now? at all. I have never watched or experienced any kind of Doctor Who right. ever. No, that is the uh, same for most of America. Yeah. Um, Doctor Who is like soccer, which it means the entire world loves it, but America doesn't really get it. But it's becoming more and more. Popular. In, in our demographic, you know, nerds. Yeah. Uh, it seems to be pretty popular. I it mean, is getting more. I was actually at Barnes and Noble the other day to get Doctor Who magazine, as I do, and I figured I'm so nerdy here. I'm walking at Doctor Who magazine. And I walk by, and a table right there in the middle of the main stretch was a whole table devoted to the new season of Doctor Who. Had the had a little poster. Had the new DVDs. It was a it was a main table, as if it was like a Hunger Games promotion. And so. it was full. It was. I, I was going to buy something, but I already had the stuff. So, 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 so why why do you think it hasn't crossed over into American mainstream it, cult? Pop it is culture? getting more and more popular. I mean, I went to a 
I, I covered Gen Con for the Fill Me Up last year, and mm-hmm. I went with some friends. We decided we have to do the proper Gen Con thing. We have to dress up. So my my friend went as guy wearing a looper shirt, which was lame. Um, <laughs> my friend dressed up as Princess Leia, um, and I went as the Doctor. And we're walking around, and everyone at Gen Con knew who I was. They kept saying, Botez are cool. Yeah, I love Doctor Who and such. And they kept asking her, who are you? And she was wow. very upset because she thought that she would be the most popular. People kept taking my photograph, and then eventually someone said, are you Ramana from the Tom Baker years of Doctor Who? She goes, yes, just to get, <laughs> just to get her picture taken. She got in the picture. But I think it, it's they did a really impressive thing last year where they actually filmed a two-parter in America. They filmed it at Monument Valley for the first time in Doctor Who's history, and that was a big hit. It, Doctor Who was the number one downloaded show on iTunes in America last year, beating wow. out Kali and everything else. So its popularity is increasing every year, which is impressive for a 50-year-old show. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. Well, so maybe it is on the the cusp of crossing over. Yep. Some other sad passings here. A couple we'll mention just in brief. Uh, actress Anne Rutherford. She was uh, in Gone with the Wind. Uh, probably most known for uh, starring with Mickey Rooney in some of the Andy Hardy movies back in the day. Uh, Victor Spinetti, who was sort of a comedian, raconteur type of figure. He was best known for appearing in Hard Day's Night and a couple other Beatles movies. Uh, I did want to mention Susan Terrell. Because uh, I think she passed last Saturday and really did not get any kind of press whatsoever for an Oscar-nominated actress. Uh, kind of surprising to just not get any kind of press. Uh, she was nominated for uh, Fat City, uh, a movie that I profiled on uh, thefilmyapp.com in our uh, Look Back movie column, Reeling Backward, uh, which you can go check that out. Uh, and w- did a very, very, very successful job in that movie of being extremely annoying. But, I mean, that was her character, and... You know, it, it, to provoke that kind of a reaction, even a negative one, is uh, is impressive. Uh, and she had a very recognizable face. She was not classically beautiful, kind of had this lioness kind of look to her face. Uh, and she, you know, was made her first movie in 1971. I think she was already well into her 30s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and kind of had a, a nice little run there in movies, basically in the 70s, uh, you know, and kind of... I think the very first thing I ever saw her in was Ricker... Or, or, Paul Verhoeven's first American movie, Flesh and Blood, uh, <laughs> which she, she played one of the uh, medieval uh, waylayers there. What do you call them? Bandits. <laughs> uh, interesting. So Susan Terrell, a uh, little, little uh, tip of the hat, as they say, and tip of the glass to her. Uh, didn't get too much notice for her death, and that's sad, and we're correcting that here. Uh, and we can't uh, end the show without mentioning uh, the passing of Probably, you know, before Roger Ebert, probably the most famous film critic in America, which was Andrew Saris, mm-hmm. best known as the uh, proponent of the auteur theory, as they say, which basically posits that the director is the author of a movie. Uh, and uh, if you read Roger Ebert's uh, memorial about him, he, he had a very good one, even though he didn't have much of a relationship with him. He said, uh, Pauline Kael was my muse, uh, but uh, Andrew Saris was my map maker. Uh, in terms of because he started being started as a critic in 67, kind of uh, the heyday of Kale and Saris. And there really was a, a time there where it was there were sort of like two camps, you know, the, the Pauline Kale camp and the Andrew Saris camp. And people lined up and, you know, were uh, sort of, you know, got patronage from their 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 demigods and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. So, I mean, someone maybe not on the tip of the tongue of pop culture, but, you know, really one of the giants of, of film criticism even though I will say personally, I did not, not a big proponent of the auteur theory. Mm-hmm. I, I buy into the auteur theory. I don't think it always has to be director. For example, whenever Aaron Sorkin has a TV show, he is the auteur of that. But it, it the, the the critic was such a powerful figure. It's a sad loss to the community. It, it was useful. I'll say that it was useful in the sense that prior to that, you know, the early 1960s when he was really pushing this. People really didn't talk about the directors. They, they did not have the preeminent place mm-hmm. in cinema, like in cinema discussions, like they do today. It's sort of like, okay, so and so's the director. It's a John Wayne movie, you know, and John Ford's directing, and blah blah blah. Yeah. But people really didn't think of it in terms of like John Ford or Alfred Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the problem with it is that when you look at how Hollywood movies actually work, and most of the other world too, you know, a lot of the times directors are are guns for hire. 
um, you know, and maybe until they get powerful enough that they can actually do their own thing. But I, I think, you know, it's very difficult to describe a particular director and say like he's the he or she is the author of that movie because most of the time it's a very very collaborative process mm -hmm. um as we saw yeah. from this week you know sometimes the director can make half a movie and get fired from it so yeah. is brenda chapman the the author of brave <laughs> well, I, I think with the auteur theory i don't think every director is an auteur i think i think if, yeah. I, I think two percent are and, and yeah. for, for them the theory is useful and i think yeah you look at it i think what is it? It's the phrase of if you can pause the movie and from that frame alone you could tell what kind of director it is. So you can go like, oh, that's definitely a Hitchcock film, or that's a mm -hmm. Truffaut, Lars von Trier, Godard, whatever. You go, okay, that is an auteur. Someone like Dennis Dugan, the director of Jack and Chill. Yeah. You go, oh, this is just a Hollywood. Hack. Oh, this is an Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is why am I watching this? <laughs> Let's I'm, turn this off. You leave the room. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can see certain similarities, stylistic similarities, and thematic similarities in a lot of directors. Mm -hmm. um, but even like you know, like Ridley Scott, one of my favorite directors, even though he makes a lot of movies that I don't particularly like, you know, there's a through line there. But you know, can you look at Ridley Scott and say he's an auteur? He's the, he's the author. He is the yeah. the creative wellspring of a movie. I don't think no. you can. I don't think I would say Ridley Scott. Oh. Uh, I, Paul like, Thomas Anderson's probably Paul Thomas yeah. There's a really uh, good one. Wes Anderson. Yeah. yeah. Who made that really great film, Moonrise Kingdom, in theaters now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a really uh, good one. Uh, <laughs> of which 94% of the critics on Rotten Tomatoes agree with you, I feel compelled uh -huh. to point out. Yeah. It's a great film. Yeah. Um, Von Trier, you mentioned. I'm, I'm thinking okay. of some contemporaries that are like that. Oh, um, Spielberg. Spiel Spielberg. Spielberg yeah. You can. Yeah. There are a lot of things like that. J.J. Uh, Abrams getting more of a visual style with that. Yeah. Um, I think there are certain auteur theories. Uh, and directors are coming more and more in the mainstream consciousness. People know what an M. Night Shyamalan film is. It isn't just yeah, for yeah. film nerds and no directors anymore. You, you notice, even though you mentioned his films, you didn't put him in that category. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> he, he does a visual style, too. It's yeah. just bad. It's, it's just the terrible. Here, here's the problem, or the weaknesses of the auteur theory, is you know it was conceived and uh, you know passed around basically as a fraud. In that, you know, it was cooked up by, you know, the journalists in France, you know, um, Godard and Truffaut and those guys, mm -hmm. the French New Wave fellows, who started out mostly as journalists. I think was it Cahir du Cinema they were writing for? Yeah, this is what Truffaut did. Uh, and basically, uh, the, I think they at least one or two of them have since, you know, pretty much admitted, you know, they basically started this theory because they wanted to be filmmakers and they were just trying to get attention. And based on the attention of, you know, this idea, they actually were able to become filmmakers and they sort of schooled Andrew Saris in the late 50s or, or, or you know, when, when he was over there in, in France. And basically he, you know, brought the import of this idea back to America. So it kind of was conceived, you know, I think on, a, like I say, shaky intellectual grounds and has con to continued to operate on, I think, often shaky intellectual grounds in that what ended up happening, especially among critics, it, it, I think it ruined some filmmakers and I think it ruined the way some critics viewed those filmmakers in that it sort of ended up deifying certain directors, putting them on a pedestal. Uh, and I think the, the, those, those directors started making movies without listening to anyone. Mm. Uh, they kind of got, you know, you know, George Lucas being someone maybe who got big bit by the same bug <laughs> later in life. Um, you know, but like, you know, Hitchcock, I mean, after Psycho, I mean, he, he made several more movies. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people like The Birds. I think it's silly as heck. Uh, <laughs> Tippy you know, Torn Curtain. I mean, I mean, you know, try and watch these yeah. movies. They're not good movies. I, I think it really was because Hitchcock got a swelled head based on those, all this all this attention from here and abroad. Uh, but like I say, it sort of ended up you know, becoming this prism through which people started looking at all movies through the eyes of the director. And, you know, it just really didn't end up being the case. I mean, I, I, I think some directors, particularly like Lucas and Coppola and uh, Spielberg and these guys, you know, and Scorsese, they were raised with this idea. And, and I think, you know, for some of them it really helped. But, I mean... I think Coppola definitely is a guy whose directors went off the went off the the rails. Uh, I think he sort of you know got lost in his own head and his own reputation and and started making movies based on you know they, they stopped listening to other people, uh, and I think that was a great detriment. And in terms of the, what what had happened to critics was you know it basically people said you know 
every Hitchcock movie is a great movie, you know, because there's there's greatness in Hitchcock. Therefore, you can see greatness in every Hitchcock movie, even though there's some really bad Hitchcock movies. And the same yeah. thing with, uh, I mean, I mean, there's not too many direct, great directors that haven't made a movie or two that you know. I'm just like, that's freaking horrible. Yeah, I I think the. I think alternative theories often gone to directors, but like I said, Aaron Sorkin is a, a writer. He doesn't ever direct anything he does, um, but he's someone who I feel he is the auteur of his products. Even something like um, The Social Network that he wrote, I felt that really as an Aaron Sorkin movie more than a David Fincher film. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think of any of the directors for um, his shows. I mean, he has a new show this Sunday called The Newsroom. I'm not thinking as a Greg Matola project. I'm thinking as an Aaron Sorkin project. That's true. And yeah. it's being gotten almost all universally bad reviews, but I I, I think it has ru- it. ruined the way you know, or altered the way you know critics look. I remember when Spike Lee first came out, you know, late '80s and early mm-hmm. '90s, and he was so vibrant. He's you know he made two great movie, I mean, great American films among his first four or five films. And I remember like you know watching like Siskel and Ebert, you know, and they reached this point where I mean like they were just like Spike can do no wrong, mm-hmm. and you know they were so overpraising certain movies. Uh, like what's the jazz one that he did? Uh, something jungle, jungle fever. Yeah, jungle fever. Uh, uh, and and, just, and then they kept saying, I was like, okay, you know, but the movie, you know, but it was like, no, they had deified him as Spike Lee, the next great American director, and he could do no wrong, you know. And then he got into like you know, like Clockers and Girl Six movies that are unwatchable, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and and still for a long time they're like, no, no, there's greatness there, and it's just like, it's almost like a club. You know, once you've gained admittance to the auteur club, you are a great director, and therefore anything you make is great. And that's just not how anybody should be approaching movies. I think that's a way to kind of kill the director in many ways. I think that's what, in like Shyamalan, <laughs> yeah. his first film, what the Time magazine said, the next Spielberg. But I think if the artist, I mean, no one makes a film by themselves unless they're making El Mariachi. Um, <laughs> you, but what you do is it's, with the auteur theory, if you have the the right collaborators who are all going for a unified vision, then it can work. I think a lot of these directors did, I mean, did not have usually a great end to their career, but there are still some out there who, um, I don't know, Herzog. Herzog's still making incredible films. Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood's still doing really impressive things. Um, Errol Morris, I think of more think people that even uh, praises. They're still, like, even though they are still collaborating, they're doing – they're keeping themselves humble and working on the art themselves. Yeah. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, arguably has not made a single bad film. Yeah. Um, Tarantino new... is another one. That Tarantino, yeah. Uh, we, we can talk about <laughs> Death Proof later then, but um, <laughs> he is one who kind of focuses so much on the art, although that guy does have a big ego too. Yeah. 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 Uh, do, do we want to do a quickie? Um, well, we, said, we think we, just, we decided Kobe is not watching anything this week, right? I saw, I... God, what was it? Uh... Um. Oh wow! Wow, this is great. I uh, love that one. That was a yeah. Really good one. <laughs> oh, jeez. I'll I'll say it when I think of it. Okay. Well, in the meantime, I'll mention uh, in case you haven't figured out uh, that the Indianapolis Museum of Arts Summer Movie Nights uh, yeah. uh, oh, is, yes. is cruising oh, along Friday nights. In case you haven't been going, it's been pretty hot, but I think it's a little cooler. So you can go out. I believe tonight's movie is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. In fact, I know it is so. because the IMA <laughs> asked me to write a blog about it for their uh, website. So uh, if you're not at thefilmyap.com, make sure to head on over to the IMA to uh, check out their full lineup uh, and maybe go see Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid Night, mm-hmm. which I refer to as perhaps the most most disrespected Best Picture Oscar-nominated film. I yeah. saw that, and I can maybe think of 50 more, but, you know, yes. <laughs> the, the only other one that can be it is Around the World in 80 Days, which actually won the Oscar for Best Picture. I can think of five worst Best Picture winners in that. Yeah. Yeah. Name them. Uh, Cimarron, Cavalcade, Crash. Crash. Um, <laughs> let's see here. What was... Oh, I really hate Cavalcade. I want to say that twice. <laughs> uh, Broadway Melody has a lot of flaws to it. Um, I'm now blanking on... Oh, Tom Jones, I don't like. Um, on the World of Eight Days is a really bad one. That's in the lower tier. Did I name five yet? But, uh, I, I think yeah. you're at least at five. Five yeah, or okay. six. Yeah. Uh, and I will say I'm doing a similar blog uh, sometime this summer for Big... And I'm also doing them for Batman, so I don't know how many you did. But... We both we both got roped yeah. by the IMA. Yeah, yeah, I had a great time writing the, the big uh, uh, blog. Also, big blog. Uh, 
Keystone Landmark this weekend, Midnight Movies. They are showing The Shining tonight and tomorrow. Speaking of auteurs. Yeah. One of the scariest movies ever made Absolutely. to this Absolutely. day. Absolutely. And and we speaking of scary, um, I do want to say since Kobe wasn't sure what he's watching. It was the others. The others. Oh yeah. Um this, one, <laughs> this one's much more interesting. Um Austin is watching some he not what he has watched, what he's going to watch. Um I gave oh, him man. I brought him Teeth. Um if you have not seen Teeth, if you don't know what Teeth is about, before you rent it, do a little research. That's all I can say. All right, yep. that's the show this week. Uh, once again, next week, you can tune in, and the Film Yacht crew will be taking over Film Sociology, a radio show right. about movies and videos and everything else good with cinema. So you're listening to WFYI HD to the point. Uh, as Matthew would say, we'll say it in his absence, go see a good movie. You yes, deserve sir. it. <laughs> Thank you.